The text for this afternoon is the Word of God as summarized and confessed in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 26. This can be found on page 540. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that, as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace, because of Christ's blood, poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ, so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated, where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. In response to the reading of the sermon, let's, we'll, uh, we'll rise together to sing Psalm 92, the verses 1 and 6. Our sermon this afternoon was written by Reverend Stam. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we may now begin to examine our confession concerning the meaning and the use of holy sacraments. We deal first with holy baptism, and it is good that from time to time the sacraments have our particular attention in the preaching. It is not without reason that in the form for baptism we are told that we are not to have our children baptized out of custom or superstition. Of course it is a custom, and a good custom at that, but if it is only custom, we are on the wrong track for then it no longer has real meaning to us. If it becomes that kind of custom, it soon borders on superstition. We do it just to be on the safe side, but otherwise it hardly functions. Baptism has then become nothing more than a precaution. It is so easy for something like baptism to become a mere custom without living meaning. How many children grow up without hardly ever reckoning with the fact of their baptism? How many parents have their child baptized but never really do anything with that fact? What meaning does baptism still have for older people who have since then experienced so many other decisive things in life? Does holy baptism really function in our homes? Does it have meaning as we grow up, when we raise our own families, or when we have become old and are perhaps cared for in a nursing home? There is the danger that also among us, baptism becomes nothing more than a kind of christening, a name-giving ceremony. The element of dedication, of dedicating our children to God is there, but it's more a family affair with coffee and goodies afterwards. Sometimes we hear the request to postpone baptism for a week to enable various faraway family members to be present. Now there's nothing wrong with family gatherings, coffee and cake in moderation, 
especially at such joyous occasions as births and baptism. But all that is secondary. We should never think of postponing baptism for that reason. The church order of the Reformed churches does not, without reason, stipulate that the consistory shall ensure the covenant of God is sealed by baptism to the children of believers as soon as feasible. Article 57. Feasible means whenever it can practically be done. A child which can be baptized should be baptized without unnecessary delay as soon as practically possible. We do not have this stipulation because baptism saves us, but because it is an institution and ordinance of Christ, which we need in our lives as God's children. It is not something which we may put off unless it really is impossible. In Lord's Day 26, we find the word washing or to wash ten times. It is obvious then that holy baptism is foremost a matter of washing. We can even formulate it a bit more exactly by saying that baptism speaks to us of the promise of the washing, and then specifically the washing of our soul. I summarize this Lord's Day as follows. Holy baptism signifies and seals to us the promise of God concerning the washing of our soul. First, the necessity of this washing, and secondly, the power of this washing. Whenever we hear the word wash, we think of dirt and filth. There would be no reason to wash if there was nothing which soiled and stained us. It is obvious then that the whole idea of washing presupposes an existing filth which must be removed. A process of cleansing must necessarily take place. For washing, one needs water. Today we might add that we also need soap or detergent, but let us realize that in lands such as Israel, Soap was not always readily available, and that the washing was done with whatever water was at hand, preferably living water from a flowing river or rushing creek. Israel was a dry land of salty flats and dusty pastures, and also washing was a great necessity. But because of the lack of available running water, washing was also somewhat of a luxury. However, people understood the necessity of washing and bathed whenever it was possible. To be bathed, well-oiled, and perfumed, and dressed in clean garments was for an Israelite one of the most pleasing and luxurious experiences. This washing also had religious significance. The priests had to wash themselves and their clothes before entering the sacred places. Special wash basins were available for the hands and the feet at the entrance of tabernacle and temple. So there were also other rules for the people. It was a sin, for example, to eat with unwashed hands. Washing was a matter of purity before the Lord. The Jews also knew of some form of baptism. When a heathen was converted to Judaism, he was not only circumcised, but he also underwent a baptism, the so-called proselyte baptism. He was then washed, scrubbed as it were, from his heathen past, and so became one of Israel. Baptism then meant undergoing a complete transition from enemy of God, Gentile, to friend of God, Jew. When John started baptizing at the Jordan as a preparation for Israel to receive the Messiah, this practice as such was not strange to the Jews. Indeed, they came en masse to be baptized. When we now, with respect to holy baptism, speak about washing, we too realize that this is meant in a spiritual sense. The Catechism says that 
Christ has instituted this outward washing. We have to use water, real water, and this water is indeed sprinkled upon the person to be baptized. It is outward and visible, but in baptism, we are not at all concerned with outward cleanliness. This outward washing directs us to something else. As water washes away the filth of the body, so there is the need for another washing, namely the washing away of the impurity of the soul. And this is precisely the promise in holy baptism. Christ will wash away the impurity of my soul, not only the body, but also the soul needs cleansing. And do not say that the catechism is again, as in Lord's Day 22, separating body and soul. Body and soul are a unity. The catechism does not separate, but it does make keen distinctions. My soul is my life, given to me at conception and manifested in my birth. Well, that very life is stained and filthy and needs to be cleansed and purified. We have been conceived and born in sin. The impurity of my soul, says the catechism, is my sins. From the moment we are conceived, there is an evil principle at work in us, and that is the principle of sin, our sinfulness out of which comes every sin imaginable. The catechism does not now want to dwell on this, but simply states the necessity that also this impurity, this filth of the soul, be washed away. When a baby is born, there is all kinds of activity directed to the cleansing of this baby. It is carefully washed, powdered, dressed, and finally presented to delighted parents and relatives. But all that washing and polishing does not do away with the one gruesome fact that this child needs to be cleansed from a far greater filth, namely the stain and pollution of sin. And all that water in the world cannot wash that away. Only the blood and spirit of Christ can bring us about such a cleansing. We read about this deeper cleansing in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. The apostle speaks there about baptism in connection with the great flood. By the great flood, God washed away all the sinfulness of the old world. Noah and his family were saved in the ark. They went through the water, but did not drown in it. Just as Israel later went through the water of the Red Sea, yet did not perish by it, but were saved through it. Both of these examples are also mentioned in the prayer in the forms for holy baptism. There we read, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Peter means that we should not remain at the outside of things here. We are not saved by water. What is vital here is not the removal of dirt from the body, but to have a clear conscience before God. What is vital is to have your soul purified and to be able to stand before God without filth and shame. In all the judgments and trials which come over the world and in which the church also shares, we may fall back on our baptism as our means of escape, our way out of peril through the water. Holy baptism speaks to us then of the necessity of this deeper cleansing of the world, cleansing of the soul. This essential washing away of sins, baptism demonstrates clearly that without this washing of Christ's blood and spirit, we cannot really live. We are born in sin. We are children of wrath and condemnation. Therefore, we must be washed from our sinfulness and the accompanying guilt. As we are born, 
we must be born again. Now baptism is a sacrament, a visible sign and seal. Christ promises that he will wash our souls with his blood and spirit. The outward washing symbolizes and confirms the inward cleansing. This promise we received at the very beginning of our life. When the necessity of this washing is established, the promise of this washing is also given. God will give me what I need, the cleansing of my soul. That may be apparent from the very beginning of my life. I want you to notice how deeply personal the catechism is here. It asks how holy baptism benefits you. It speaks about the impurity of my soul, that is all my sins. Holy baptism is a very personal matter. Often we complain that things are so impersonal, even in the church. We so easily feel passed by. Many words, also in the sermon, do not really affect us directly. But in holy baptism, we are mentioned by name and surname. We are personally addressed in the midst of a large multitude. It is my soul, my name that is involved. Could God ever speak to us in more direct and personal terms than at our baptism? My soul requires cleansing. This is a matter of life and death. It can be cleansed only by the blood and spirit of Christ. And the promise of this cleansing is given to me, personally, at my baptism. No one who is baptized may say, the Lord has passed me by. He didn't. We do not have to wait for a voice from heaven to tell us that we are God's children, for that voice was heard at our baptism. There the Lord Jesus Christ concretely met the need of my life with his wondrous promise of cleansing. cleansing. What I must learn to see more and more in my life is the power of this cleansing, its effect and far-reaching consequence. We come to the second point. For the Catechism also asks, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? Does this outward washing with water, which directs us to a far deeper matter, the washing of our soul, have any real power? As we grow up and become mature, we more and more learn the power of this washing. We begin to discover in life that our weaknesses and sins are always with us. We can sometimes feel so dirty. We can also feel so ineffective against the temptations and the wiles of the devil. Time and again, we fail and we fall. If it were then not for our baptism and the rich promises contained in it, we would rightly despair. But the water speaks of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. To be washed with Christ's blood, says the Catechism, means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us on the cross. As surely as the water flowed over me, so the blood of Christ cleanses me. It cleanses me of all my sins, of each and every one. And it does so from the beginning of my life, throughout my life, and on into my old age. The blood of Christ washes away all sin from beginning to end. That's how powerful this washing is. Not a trace of sin is left behind. Not one area of my life is left untouched. I am cleansed of all my sins throughout my whole life. From day one, I am sanctified in Christ. It is with this mighty promise that we may begin our life on earth. And time and again, we may fall back on that promise. Sometimes we might think, it is not possible, Lord, that you forgive me again. 
It is not possible, Lord, that you forgive me this time, for now your patience is ended, and this time I went too far. Sometimes I may despair of God's mercy, but then I am reminded of my baptism, when it was said, I have washed you, and I will wash you in the blood of Christ. Never despair of my mercy, for this blood is greater than all your sins, and this washing is more powerful than all the filth of sin. And there is more. The Catechism carefully explains that the water of baptism speaks not only of the blood of Christ, but also of the Spirit of Christ. Throughout these Lord's Days on baptism, we notice the combination of blood and spirit. The one is never without the other. If the word washing is a key, the expression blood and spirit is equally dominant. Washing with the blood speaks of the forgiveness of sins. To this is added the washing with the Spirit. Whenever we speak of the Holy Spirit and His work, we speak of new life, of renewal. This too is a powerful work of God. The Catechism says, to be washed with, this, with His Spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Forgiveness is always combined with renewal. Blood and spirit always go together. Justification and sanctification come in one and the same package of redemption. Both are combined also in our baptism. We cannot fight sin on our own. The older we become, the more we realize this. Sin is often very much alive in us. Our lives are far from blameless, and so we can become so tired fighting against our own sinful nature. It is such a losing cause. We might despair of God's mercy. We might also think of giving up the struggle. But also then, we may fall back on our baptism. The power of this washing with the Holy Spirit is that we do not despair of God's mercy, nor continue in sin. We may believe that the Holy Spirit will enable us to continue in this unending struggle, and that there is progress our baptism assures us that Satan will have less control and Christ will gain more control. Our baptism is a promise of that positive process and development in our lives. No, this does not mean that we will achieve perfection in this life or that the falling and failing will one day stop. For baptism does not remove from us our sinful weakness. The struggle against sin is a lifelong struggle and goes on until we die. But then the promise of baptism is also a lifelong promise. The promise goes with us until we are finally presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Baptism does not take us out of the struggle, but it assures us in the struggle that we will never be forsaken by Christ. So holy baptism is not just a ritual, act of custom or superstition which does not really function in our lives. Instead, it is an ongoing testimony and assurance to all of us every day that the Spirit of God lives within us and that he will continue in us the battle against sin. If I did not know that, I would not be able to continue. If I did not know that Christ's Spirit will keep the battle going, I would dread each and every coming day, for I would go under deeper and deeper, never to rise again. But I may believe the power of this washing. All my sins are forgiven. I am constantly renewed by the Holy Spirit. This is my certainty when I am growing up. 
as a child and in my teenage years. This is my certainty when I have my own children and see them struggle with their weaknesses, fears, and doubts. This is my certainty when I know that I fall short with respect to my God and my family. This is my certainty when I am older and when the kids have all grown up and, the possibly, left, and possibly left the home. And when I have become alone again, still I know that all my sins are forgiven and that I am renewed from day to day. When we think of baptism, we often think of babies and little children. But you may think also of old men and women. By baptism and grafted into the church, planted in the house of the Lord, taking root in God's courts and flourishing there and bearing fruit, even in old age, still vigorous and green in faith. You may think of those who confess, Thou from my youth, O Lord, hast taught me, and I do still proclaim thy wondrous deeds, thy fame, now that I'm old, Lord, and gray-headed. Yes, when you think of baptism, you may think of little babies, as long as you see these young ones in the line of the generations of the people of God, together with the old ones as one people. Washed means washed for life. It means washed for all eternity, for the life to come. We are baptized only once. If things go as they should, we are baptized at the very beginning of our lives. In any case, it holds true from the moment we receive it. The power of this washing lasts our whole life through. The blood and the spirit of Christ remain ours. This is Christ's sure and certain promise, repeated more than once in the word of God. We have to believe this. We may work with this certainty through our whole life. It will be for us a source of great strength and immense comfort. Also, on the day we die, if we are still conscious, we shall confess, Yes, now my rock I've seen, his righteousness, his caring. Then he will indeed be without blemish, a glorified body, a purified soul, to serve God forever in perfection. Amen.